Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists. We interview up-and-coming jazz musicians, world-renowned jazz musicians, and everyone in between about their latest albums and share short clips of their music. Learn more at bitesizejazz.com or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening. Today's guest on the podcast is the drummer Tom Cohen. Tom has been an integral part of the Philadelphia jazz scene since the mid-70s. He's been incredibly versatile as a studio musician, grooving on many different genres of music. He's also recorded several albums with jazz greats like Chris Potter, Kurt Rosenwinkel, and Joey DeFrancesco, who appears on his latest album. Tom is going to tell us more about it, so let's welcome him to the show. Hi, I'm Tom Cohen, jazz drummer, and I recently released a new album entitled My Take. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining me here on the podcast. It's great to have you. Pleasure to be here, Stephanie. So let's just start right off with the album. Why did you name it My Take? For one thing, I think it's, I'm not really a composer of music. And uh, I, I, I suppose I could, could have put myself in that direction. But, I, but anyway, uh, so when, when recording an album, and it, it holds true for, for most of my previous records, except where I collaborated with somebody that is a composer, uh, I'm, I have to resort to uh, covering tunes by other composers, whether, whether it's an American standard or a, a, a jazz standard. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, um, it's my interpretation of them. And uh, basically that's what, how I derived my take from it. It's like my, it's like saying it, this is my take on Along Came Betty, or this is my take on Minority. And let's dig into some of those song choices. The first album on the track was Minority. And so I'd love if you could talk about, you know, how you made it your own on this album. Well, the way it went down in the studio, actually, is we were basically warming up with that tune. And uh, I said, let's, I said to Joey, who was just seated, you know, right across from me, and not in a booth or anything like that. It was in, like, a, we almost played without, I think we played without headphones. So we were just in close proximity. And so why don't we pick a tune just to, to get, to warm up to. And Joe, we launched in that. I stopped the tune like halfway through or a quarter of the way through. And I said, hey, wait, this is feeling really good. This is, we're going to, let's, let's, let's have the tape rolling during this. You know, it's almost that, it's kind of the energy of, um, it was really, I, I played with Joey previously, uh, uh, maybe one or two times here in Philadelphia, I think at least twice. And, uh, but this was the first time for us to really uh, get entangled and, and, and tackle it in an intimate setting where, uh, without any other distractions. So we had a really great chemistry right off the bat. And um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, 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 you know, I was just following to answer your question more specifically. I mean, I was the music as a trio just and led itself. You know, it's the it's it was just one of those. Um, there's a chem we Joey and I had a great chemistry on this. We could feel it right away. And I wasn't going to hold back or think twice about it. Just be in the moment. See where that 
where he was going to take it. And, uh, you know, I, I, he pushed me and I pushed him. He was playing the Hammond B3 organ. How did you get to know him? You mentioned you played with him a couple of times before this album, even. Yeah. Well, there was, um, in particular, there was a, a club here in Philadelphia that was really legendary. Now it's not in existence anymore called Ortlieb's House of Jazz. And I was frequently in the club, uh, either performing or hanging out or sitting in. It had live jazz uh, six days a week. And, uh, and so Joey would stop down from time to time um, when he was in town. Um, and I think he, I don't think he actually did a gig there, but uh, he might've at that time, uh, his, his drummer is a good friend of mine, Byron Landham. And uh, I think Byron let me sit in and we played a couple of tunes. And you talked about, because you played on the Philadelphia jazz scene for quite some time. Can you describe what it's like playing in Philadelphia? Sure. I mean, Philly has a, an amazing jazz history. Uh, and that uh, the, there's a feeling here in Philadelphia that is a, a feeling of, of swing, to get to the bottom line of it. That's, it's Philly's own way of swinging. And uh, it's not to say there isn't, there aren't people swinging as hard in New York or many other cities. I'm not taking anything away from those, from any of those folks, but they will even acknowledge that Philly has, has a thing, has it. It's, it's a, it's a very down home, deep, uh, deep rooted uh, feeling of swing. I mean, if you look at even the B3 players that have come out of Philadelphia, uh, Don Patterson, Shirley Scott, Trudy Pitts, uh, and there was an organist, uh, Herbie Nix. Actually, the first time that I ever uh, played with musicians in Philadelphia, I was maybe 21 years old, and I, I had relocated here from, from the New York area. And uh, different things took me down here to Philly, and I started to seek out jazz haunts where I could listen or maybe play. And I found out about a place right in Center City called Gertz Lounge, a real... A, a beautiful spot, a real cozy bar with an, with an organ player, Herbie Nix, that would lead the, uh, the sessions, let's say, on a Monday night or something like that. So I drove in, found my way to this spot, and um, asked if I could sit in. And uh, I kind of became a regular that way. And it was great education is, is really what I'm getting at here, is that uh, it, was a, it's the, it was an organ grooving bar everyone was so warm and and friendly and there was there was a, a if you find people uh, dancing in the the short aisle that separated this stage from anybody that would be sitting at the bar there'd be just maybe two people could squeeze there but the music would be so toe tap and, and dancing that you'd find people getting up and and dancing and the dance uh would be the bop it's a it's a form of I'm not going to demonstrate it for you. So oh, darn. <laughs> I'm 
You don't want to see that. And I don't have a partner here. I don't have a partner here to do it. But it's it's sort of a way that people dance to it, just something that's swinging, usually in a really good medium tempo. Uh, it's upbeat. There are other there were other organ bars, and there still are organ jazz spots here and there throughout Philly. But Philly is known very much as like a, a warm B three town. But you could, you know, Hammond that 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 feeling. Uh, I mean, Richard Groove Holmes is from outside of uh, outside of Philly. I'm not actually sure, but actually uh, gigged with him back in those days. Did some do so. That's just the the Hammond B three aspect to what Philadelphia has to offer. It's a, but all the musicians are. Uh, uh, there's a standard here, and to try to like, you know, always be swinging and make the music feel good. So I think that's, I think it's a lot of what Philadelphia's offered to me that I could take from it. It's uh, feel privileged to be able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned Shirley Scott in there. Did you get to play with her? Yeah. Um, she never employed me, but that, that's okay. Uh, she was a, uh, was a regular at this establishment, Fort Leeds Jazz House. And um, the uh, owner of that club was a saxophone player, is still is, Pete Souders. And he had the, the smarts to bring in, to launch the club, uh, with a great trio, which was Shirley and Mickey Roker, and um, uh, I think uh, I think maybe the uh, the first bass player that uh, did it was probably uh, Arthur Harper. I think that was the trio. Arthur Harper was one of Mickey's favorite bass players. Mickey and I became dear friends. Uh, I mean. Uh, very dear friends. And anyway, he would tell me that Arthur was one of his favorite bass players. So that was a great trio. Uh, sometimes Shirley would play organ and sometimes she'd just play piano. But many times I would play with her down there. I think we might've done one gig. Cool. Yeah, Shirley Scott's really cool because she played so well, but she's not as like well-known in like the jazz history books. You know, no one really talks about her, but she's really cool. Oh, she's great. She's wonderful, wonderful. They she made some great records with Mickey, Mickey and Arthur on them sometimes. But uh, there's some great records out there. You ever get a chance to, to find them? That's cool. What was she like as a person? Oh, super sweet, super nice person. As nice as it gets. You know, she, she was so sincere. She would find me, you know, some, you know, after we played that, let's say a couple of tunes and I might see her on the way out. She would make a point to tell me how much she enjoyed playing with me. And it was, you know, it was, she was just very, she wouldn't go out of, you know, crazy with that, but she was very sincere. And, it, and if she laid a compliment on you, you knew she meant it. She was, she was, yeah, she was a great person. She sounds really awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's dig into some more tunes from your album. How about Along Came Betty? Right. Yeah, well, that trio, which is um, a different trio from from the Joey, uh, either Joey with, you know, with with Ralph or I mean with Ralph Bowen or with Tim Warfield. Uh, this is a trio that I that we had together here in Philly uh, some years ago and um, gigged around a lot. We had a great chemistry. 
Steve Giordano is a brilliant guitar player, as well as Dave Posmentier, brilliant uh, pianist and or B3 player. And uh, there was, a, I pulled a session together uh, as a result of, of a couple of gigs we had done at a particular club in Philly. I liked the way it sounded. I liked the, the engineer there. It was basically recorded live and I pulled together this session. And, um, and this, this is the tune that I plucked out from it because I just, uh, I thought, well, I thought I sound good on it and so do those guys. So why not, why not put it out there? You know, it's just, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel that um, records have to, an album has to per se have the same musicians on every cut in order for it to be, I mean, in the classic way, that was always the case. If you saw a Blue Note album cover, these are the musicians that were on the record and they were on every cut, but it's not always the case. But so I changed it up in this case. And uh, I thought it was, um, I thought it was showcased uh, something a little different out of, out of me because the prior tune minority is really a, a hard hitting, bashing, hard swinging tune. This is um, a little lighter in a way and a little more uh, streamlined. Um, I, I take a little bit more of a back seat. I'm not as aggressive on this tune. And uh, just trying to make it like have that feel, the feeling of the music hydroplaning, uh, just skating along. So that's why I put it on there. And how about the Eternal Triangle by Sunny Stick? Again, um, a, a burning tune. Like uh, the first session went so well with with Joey and and Tim that I, I you know I organized another one, but I wanted to change it up. Loved what Tim had to offer. Wanted to change it up with a, a tenor player that I'd done a lot of work with through the years, Ralph Bowen. It was just brilliant. I mean, uh, a, really a harmonic genius. Uh, and and Ralph's and Ralph's stream of consciousness is is amazing too. He's um, uh, he's got a way of of going once he gets started on a solo if he's being pushed. And he's the kind of soloist that I really enjoy playing with the most because he keeps kicking his solos up notch by notch, more intense, more intense. And I rely on that. If the soloist is feeding that to me, that's what I can sink my teeth into. So in a way, I'm only as good as the people around me in that sense. And Ralph is somebody that guarantees that uh, for me every time. And, I, and I'm sure for everyone else that's played with. And, uh, so that so I I said let's, let's let's do another session but this will be with Ralph so as to why Eternal Triangle was the choice I might have had it on a list of doables or it might have come up as you know asking Ralph what he wanted to play and again it was not so much about the an arrangement or trying to do something different with the tune or alter it it was more about just um, using such a great tune as a, a vehicle for us to, to uh, play the music and, and, and take it. Somewhere. 
as a studio musician. Uh, what was your experience doing that? How long did you do that for? You know, I, I really enjoy working in the studio. I love, I love that, whether it's on my projects or someone else's project. And um, uh, I think it's, um, it, in some ways, it, it, it really caters to something I feel strongly about is that you're always playing as a drummer, is that you're always playing for the music. You're not playing for yourself, but you play for the music. And that very often the studio se sessions are about that. You're, you're trying to, um, you're there if you're being hired by a producer or that artist, you're there to make their vision come true. And, uh, and, and it depends how, you know, how much freedom that particular artist, artist is going to give you, whether it's in a, in, in a jazz genre or outside of that. Uh, just in, in fact, just uh, when the pandemic was first getting going, uh, one of the groups that I'm involved with here in Philadelphia is a Brazilian band named Minas, called Minas, named after the state in uh, Brazil where the band leader was born and raised. Uh, we recorded uh, an album of all Beatles tunes done uh, differently in the style of different Brazilian rhythms and arrangements and and in two days we did 14 tunes, which was a, which was a real challenge. And yeah, that's a uh, lot of work. Yeah, yeah. It was like, okay, breaks over, people. Let's get back. And uh, but it was a lot of fun, and um, and it and it turned out great. So that's 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 one of the more recent studio sessions that I've been involved in. But uh, it's been a lot of different stuff through the years. Yeah, you probably have to learn so many different styles as a studio musician, right? Because nothing's ever the same. So how do you manage to sound good in so many different styles? I think the, the real key to that is that you have to feel it. It all comes from really the feeling. If you can, if you can really feel that music and, it's, and, you, and you enjoy that kind of music, whatever it is, that's really the key. You can't fake it. There's no, I want to try to play like this or try to play in this style. You're either attracted to that style of music and love playing in that style, whatever it is, whether it's R&B or rock or Latin or Brazilian, whatever, straight ahead jazz. If, if you love playing that way, Hopefully, and you have a capacity for a deep feeling, and this is where, this is what makes horse races, right? Makes everybody different. If you can really dig down deep, and it, it and it, that's the only way it's authentic. So yeah, I think it starts with really loving the music. Right. What if, have you ever been called to play on a studio session where you didn't love the music? Yeah, sure. It's happened. Well, but... There's always the genre in which that particular music is rooted in. So you always have that as a frame of reference. You may not like the song, but there's never been a situation where I didn't like the music. There is no music that, 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 I, don't, that I dislike. I mean, because every form of music has its merit and has its, has its set of emotions and feelings that, that make it what it is. So, um, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not a, like a, a, a jazz snob, for example. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I love. If people are grooving, no matter what the genre is, then you can make that that music feel worthwhile doing. So, I mean, I've come up against where I haven't had really cared for the arrangement or the or what the, what this composer or producer or songwriter was trying to do inside this genre. But the best thing is to just try to play it is that's the challenge so it's never really unpleasant is it stressful too to like just have the music right there in front of you and say okay play it really good right now yeah there's always an, an element of that i'd be lying if i didn't say uh uh there's a you know a sense of urgency or apprehension or even mild mild or whatever level of anxiety you want to call it that's necessary that's a part of of anything in performance, you know, whether it's music or sports, you, if you're not feeling that sort of nervousness, then it doesn't mean anything to you. So it's a good thing to have that little sense of nervousness there. The question is, how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to, how are you going to put it in its corner and be able to, uh, be able to just move beyond that and give it your best? That's that's where the that's where the art comes in. Right, I like that. Well, I think uh, we'll wrap it up there for today. But thanks for talking about all your experience in Philadelphia jazz scene and your album. I appreciate it, and I would be remiss to uh, to to not maybe plug that I will have another album out hopefully next year. And this Ooh. one is this one is uh, quite different from uh, from my take uh, in that it's all Brazilian jazz and uh, I've got most of the album recorded already and I'm very excited about it. You've been listening to an interview with drummer Tom Cohen about his album Mind Take. If you like what you heard you can find the full album anywhere you stream music. We also have a link in this episode's description along with a link to Tom's website so you can learn more about him. And if you're enjoying the podcast sign up for our brand new newsletter. You can make sure that you never miss out on new episodes by having them sent directly to your inbox along with exclusive content about upcoming episodes. Head to bitesizejazz.com to sign up or hit the link in this episode's description. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. <laughs>